Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name is James Evans, and I'm not seeing double, I'm seeing trouble. That's what I would have said if we were joined by Macy today, but unfortunately, <laughs> we had a last minute change of plan. Ellie, would you like to tell us about that? <laughs> wow. wow, James. Wow. 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 Are you kidding me? Way to dump me straight <laughs> in it. Chucking you under the bus from the outset. I know. That was like when you do an interview with, you know, as we all do, right. with a news reporter and they're really nice to you. And then the second the cameras start rolling, they're like, so why were you responsible for the deaths of all those people? That's how they get you. Lull you into a false sense of security. James and I have just had a lovely, lovely little lovely catch, catch up. up. Yeah. No warning of the, the cutthroat <laughs> nature of the intro. Yeah, Woo! that's how I roll. We are broadcasters. Why are we not doing that episode? Because... I overshot and made it sound to James like I would be able to watch season six in a week. In a week. And I was wrong. You've been a busy bee. And I apologize. I apologize. (laughs) And James. If I was hurt, I was led to believe incorrectly that's. How far have you got? And I was like, one episode, two episodes in. So. I sat bolt upright in bed. I just woke up. I went, Ellie! I could really feel, yeah. I wasn't angry, I was just disappointed. You were disappointed, exactly. I know, and then I had Maisie writing to me being like, when are we recording? And she's now disappointed. Like, um, she's just sat on the stoop waiting to get picked up. Everyone's been let down. Yep. If it helps, I did just get to the first responders party. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where we really get the ball rolling. All right. So I'm, I'm chugging along yeah, through. Yeah. And so far, my main observation is I really enjoy how much... I can't remember which twin it is who's obsessed with Dunkin' Donuts. Like, she mentions Dunkin' oh, Donuts so many times. That's Nicole, because she met Barbie in a, a Dunkin' Donuts, did yes, she? Yeah. Yes. I know, every time I watch it, I'm like, God, I really want a Dunkin' Donuts now. <sighs> the height of sophistication. Mm-mm. It's where I've met all of my um, dates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Also, like, weird things are happening. I'm starting to become very fond of Teresa and Joe. Mm. It's weird. It's all topsy-turvy. I actually really like Joe Judice. I never thought I'd say it exactly. I feel like I'm in the upside down. So I am getting through it, but... um, Yeah, but busy uh, busy lady with busy plans. And uh, I I don't know what that was. It started off as like Reno and then it turned into... (laughs) That was a good Reno, actually. Something else. And I also like burped in the middle of it. So it's just like... That's a given. And so instead today, we're going to do a cheeky little bonus episode about this amazing... I wouldn't really call it a bonus episode because a bonus implies that it's an addition to. This is just instead of. So this is this is our back pocket also... emergency episode <laughs> that we had for inevitably when... It also made it, it, made it sound like I was going to try and sell everyone something like this amazing new window cleaner. <laughs> um, this incredible book <laughs> called Not All Diamonds and Rosé. Rosia. And I was... I was gifted, gifted the book 
um, for my birthday. Are you okay? And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not. Basically, for some context, I'm back in bed. I'm really ill. You're looking very much like Caroline Manzo on vacation, just like uh, leg down, basically, listening to Teresa. What? You compare me to Caroline Manzo on vacation every episode. <laughs> I'm just saying you look very comfortable right now. You're in your little grey well, t-shirt not. dress. I've got a horrible sore chest. Um. I, um... Yeah, so I think I'm a bit loopy from taking too many cold and flu capsules. Fun. Anyway... It's not fun, James. It's really horrible, okay. actually. Should we move it? Shall I talk? Us- <laughs> I feel like we're going nowhere very quickly, and I think that we should probably move on. All right. So, Not All Diamonds and Rosé uh, is a book that came out last year. <laughs> we all know what it is. Really glad you picked up the reins there. You were like... <laughs> Because the episode was really going to shit until you told everyone it was a book. Well, I feel like I don't need to explain what the book is because I feel like most of you guys listening, you know what the book is all about. It's like an insider's view of the entirety of The Real Housewives as a franchise and it charts it. No, I don't think people will know. And I think it's worth saying that it's not... I thought that the book was going to be just someone writing about the history of Housewives. What I didn't understand was that it was going to be a bit like... It's like a dictated court record. Yes. (laughs) The entire thing... (laughs) It's just like, but I cannot, I cannot for the life of me put my finger on like how it was collated because I'm like, was it a live conversation? Because basically each chapter is a different city and it will interview the producers, Andy Cohen and all of the housewives or almost all of them with some notable exceptions. But what's weird is that sometimes I think oh, they've just interviewed them all separately and then they've made a kind of narrative or an arc through the different subject matters that get covered. But then sometimes they seem to respond to each other. Yeah. And it's like, oh, were they all there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of really mirrors the sort of narrative structure of the Housewives shows, I guess. I guess that's what they're going for, where they kind of, each of the women take it in turn to sort of act as a narrator and provide their point of view. And it's often structured in a way where a housewife will say something and then another housewife or even a producer will contradict it or call bullshit on it. And it's sort of down to the reader to decide what they believe. But yeah, it's interesting how they... I mean, part of me wonders if they interviewed like the looser canon housewives first, just to give the more sensible ones something to react to. That's what I assumed. I wonder whether they kind of like took Danielle saying something and then they said to Caroline, interviewing her after Danielle saying, well, Danielle said this. And then Caroline would go, oh my God, please. Exactly. It's very faithful to its subject matter whilst also providing a lot of dynamism, I guess. In some cases, you can really hear the voice of specific housewives jumping off the page. I feel like Jill Zarin is one of those ones where like, or Vicky Gunvorson, like you can really hear their voice vividly yeah. coming through. It's also it's striking how some of the housewives are really refreshingly frank, and sometimes it's like surprising housewives, and that they'll openly talk about. I don't know. I guess a common theme is how they were fired instead of that usual sort of press release of like, yeah, I decided to take a step back and spend more time with my family. It was a mutual decision, blah, 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 where you can kind of get the sense that a lot of the women have really taken the opportunity to really embrace the freedom that the book has given them to break that fourth wall mm. and express themselves in a way that they wouldn't normally on the show. And then you just have some housewives who sort of rigidly stick to their TV persona. Yeah, I really enjoy like how many of them are like, I decided that it was time to leave the show. And then it will just cut to a producer being like, 
they were, they were fired. fired. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, again and again and again yeah. and again and again. Or just Andy Cohen being like, um, no, they were let go. <laughs> and then you get people like Vicky, who's like, I was fired and I'm really pissed off about it because I know I'm good TV. And it was a bad yeah. And I kind of really appreciate, I guess it's not out of character for Vicky, but I appreciate the... I don't know how honest it is, I guess. And then taking someone like Heather Dubrow, I thought was a really interesting case study where she was almost like a middle ground between the two, where I felt that she was giving an account that seemed very honest and vulnerable for her to say that she could feel that the show was moving on without her. And even though she wanted to stay on, she sort of subconsciously was sabotaging it for herself, where she kind of yeah. like refused to let them see the house that they'd finished yeah. that they'd been building for like the last five years or refused to turn up to this event or that and to kind of really piss the producers off and then the producers immediately contradicting that again it's almost like they were told that heather said that and they were saying mm, i think she's kind of not she's being 70 percent honest but not 100 percent honest she wanted to come back and we offered her a reduced role and i think she was too proud to take it so it's really there's a lot of nuance there that i found yeah. really fascinating and I think it's to its great advantage that the book structures itself in that way where there's no one reliable narrator or authority. So the writer, Dave Quinn, he only interjects himself very briefly in italics kind of just to set the scene or to kind of like push it in a new direction and give us some context for a new talking point. But apart from that, it is really just composed of the women and also the producers. And... I think one drawback to this reliance on the women telling their own story is precisely that it's dependent on all the women taking part. And if one of them doesn't, then the story stalls. There's like a big gap in the story. Yeah. So for instance, it's kind of reflected appropriately enough, I guess, in the Beverly Hills section when they're talking about Denise and Denise's whole storyline about her being evasive and not being upfront and honest and always Mm. running away from the conversation. And Denise didn't take part in the book. So it just feels like a continuation of the show where the women are trying to keep a story alive about a subject who has long since disengaged. Exactly. But then I think another, on the other hand, sticking with Beverly Hills, I'm really pleased that Adrian took part because we were talking a couple of weeks ago. Yes, what, what, you, yeah. what you were saying. And she kind of had a similar trajectory on the show to Denise where she kind of refused to engage on a subject. She, despite everyone's advice, didn't take the narrative and appropriate it as hers as her story to tell and so she just it just played into the hands of brandy to spin into whatever story it was yeah you know we all know that history is written by the victors and i'm glad that adrian decided to come back and write her own story about her surrogacy which is something that she didn't allow herself to do the first time yes yeah so in those senses the book really adds a new layer or it furthers an old story in some way or we get an interesting little bit of information that changes how we perceive something that we know very well on the show that's when it's really good Mm. and then sometimes it can just be sort of like a recap of a storyline yes also it's difficult because it goes into such a level of detail on some things that you can quite greedily want them to go into that level of detail about every storyline yeah and i think when you're as obsessive as us it can be frustrating when it suddenly like jumps a whole season storyline pretty much or like brushes over it in a few sentences because you're like no i want to hear them all talk about luan and the pirate yeah It feels like quite broad brushstrokes, but then of course it does because you can't fit in. (laughs) We'd be out of a job Mm. if if they gave gave a kind of surgical dissection of 
every season of the show. But I, yeah, I definitely found myself occasionally wanting more detail about storylines I was more interested in. Mm -hmm. I think it comes from a logistical standpoint where I don't know about you, I kind of found Orange County, that chapter, even though I don't find Orange County necessarily the most compelling housewife. I found it so interesting. It really hooks you. It's the very first chapter just because it has such sheer content given that it's the longest running city and the comparison between its first season and its most recent is so vast like they are by all accounts completely different shows yeah so it's almost it feels like the the early stages of the orange county chapter like a background history lesson on reality tv and the context of the time and it premiered at a time when reality tv was still nascent and still finding its feet much less the concept of the real housewives And so we really track it in fascinating detail from this one guy who moved to Orange County from LA, who sort of worked in the TV world and met Gina Keogh and just found her fascinating and tried to make this very earnest documentary series about a cross-section of life in this one single gated community. The transition from that to focusing on the women and their families to becoming a sort of a docu-soap parody of Desperate Housewives to focusing on the women interacting with each other through to them fighting with each other, which is more or less where we find the show today. There's so many different beats that the show went through in those early years. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I found it so fascinating, the kind of development of the show. And also the fact that they all are very open about the fact that Tamara basically changed the face of reality television. She like changed the face of the entire franchise because she was the first one to introduce the idea of drama between the women. And that up until that point, the first few seasons were following the women's own dramas within their lives Mm -hmm. or things that were happening but it never occurred to them to kind of have crossfire and to have someone say something about someone else and that also I don't know about you but I, I really loved or found very interesting who the producers loved in terms of them being great TV mm-hmm. And who the producers found very difficult. And it was just so interesting that Tamara was potentially, I think, in the whole book, the most unequivocally rated by everyone as almost like the top housewife. Every single producer was just there being like, she nailed the show season after season after season. It seems like she was the closest thing to the perfect housewife. And it's not, it goes even beyond the producers. Even the likes of Alexis are kind of like, yeah, to be fair, Tamara is great at her job. You know, she's completely evil and I hate her, but she's also really good TV. Like- <laughs> but also, I found it really interesting, the bit where they were saying the reason Tamara was so electric was that she would always deliver. So we do a day of filming. They were talking about the scene where Tamara was giving a speech at a charity and they were like, this is very B-roll footage. It's probably not going to go in the show. It's not that interesting. And then bam, Tamara like admits in her speech that she was abused. Yeah. Any scene where she was being filmed at any moment could end up being perfect television. Yeah. She would drop these things suddenly yeah. and suddenly you have the most gripping episode. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting that I think we've talked about this a few times, but that idea of the focus being on show and not reality and like the fusion of those two things, that some of the housewives who seem to have almost fallen down, there's a balance. If they're too performative, it doesn't work. But also if they're too real to the point that it's just a bit boring because they're just reacting yeah. how you would react or or then that also doesn't work. And that the people who have managed to find that duality in reality and show and to be authentic, but also drive the drama Mm -hmm. are the people that were very like celebrated in the book as like 
being the kind of heroes of reality. And it makes sense why the producers would praise her because she was kind of working as a producer. I'm pretty sure they describe her as that. You know, it's kind of making the producer's job easier. Mm-hmm. And she has an innate understanding for not only where to go in terms of her interpersonal relationships with the other women, but also her own personal storyline. So Tamara's very good at understanding, okay, this rivalry I have with Gretchen is getting a bit stale now. And they wanted to get rid of Gretchen, didn't they? They wanted to fire her a few seasons before she ended up getting fired. And Tamara said, no, this is kind of the driving storyline in the show. Like she's going to be, even though I personally don't like her, she's good for the show. I know that much. And then she had the sense to, after three seasons of fighting, to suddenly be like, let's be best friends. Become friends. And then, so she's very good with keeping that constantly shifting dynamic and changing allegiances all the time. And she's also very good where each season she'll be like, I'm going to become a born again Christian. Or I'm going to get into bodybuilding yeah, yeah. and she'll have her own little personal storyline as well. So she, yeah, it's nice to see her get paid her That's dues so that, that she really deserved. On the other hand, everyone, even the producers, completely dragged Alexis Bellino in this book and it really cracked me oh up. Oh my God. <laughs> Poor girl just couldn't catch a break. I know. And I found it really interesting when a producer said pretty much what we were just saying now about the reality and show, how even from the very early stages of the casting process, they could tell that Alexis was lying or trying to put across a different image of how she actually is. And whereas normally that would be like a big red mark, they really appreciated the humor that comes from that where they could see there's this huge disparity between how Alexa sees herself and how the audience will perceive her, which is a very common theme in Housewives. Housewives that I gravitate towards. It's like, we're talking about the Luans of this world, the Camille Grammers of this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your people. <laughs> my, my people. It's very, the very Valerie Cherish-esque mentality of like doing everything in your power to control the narrative to be the hero only for production to completely Mm. clown you and show that you're actually the fool or even the villain. It did kind of make me want to go back and watch those Alexa seasons because I remember she was so fun to hate. Not hate, hate's too strong, but there was just something so insufferable about her and that very performative nature, which is interesting because that has come up again and again with Housewives, that the people who succeed on the show the most tend to be the people who lean into allowing their story to be shown and you know Luann's a good example of all of the women have said they like Luann when Luann owns her stuff Mm -hmm. and then there's like the countessy Luann Mm -hmm. who's like all theirs and graces and I think that's quite a similar theme within the show is is and it's like coming back to that Adrian thing of if you lean into your shit if you lean into your storyline or you lean into that vulnerability then people really love you. And I think what people found very hard with people like Alexis or even Gretchen is they weren't prepared to show any of their actual reality. Right. God, she was... Alexis was such funny TV whenever they'd film her interviewing. so good. When she was like a reporter and she was just like the worst at her job of anyone ever. (laughs) Always missing the mark is our Alexis. I mean, we have spoken about it again and again and about the meaning of reality and show and how tongue-in-cheek we're meant to take real. And it is a really hard thing to define because there's some housewives who are, I believe that they're being real but aren't particularly compelling characters or particularly likable characters or for whatever reason it doesn't work. And then there's people like Alexis who completely fake it but still end up being entertaining. And I think it's such an indefinable quality where... I think charisma and humour plays a really important role, actually. There's some housewives who get away with a lot more than others. I like the thing you were once saying about Bethany, and I think it probably applies to most housewives who are great TV are probably like psychopaths in real life. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't want to be their friend, but they're great TV. 
Yeah, Tamara's another one. Yeah. Tamara's totally another yeah, one. completely. I enjoyed the Orange County chapter, like you say, as like a setup. It was also slightly, it was quite a good kind of entryway chapter for me to brush off the cobwebs and try and remember back to when I watched Orange County. Because with the OC, I, I watched... I think from Gretchen's second seasons when I I came in through to I think I watched one season when Kelly came on the show and then much like Heather Dubrow I was out because I felt that the show was in the book Heather talks about how she felt the show was just becoming like screaming brawling there's a whole thing of Kelly screaming Mm -hmm. someone was see you next Tuesday and Heather was like I'm done Mm -hmm with the show and I kind of felt quite similarly that I felt when you introduce someone like Kelly Dodd it's like arguments for argument's sake rather than because anything actually has particularly happened it just the show lost me at that mm-hmm. point a bit but I did find it really fascinating reading the chapters about the seasons I haven't even watched but about the island trip and that kind of gorilla footage that they had from the bus yeah I guess it's kind of Going back to what I was saying before, where sometimes the show is recapping, the book is recapping the show, and sometimes it's kind of enlightening us with some new information. It becomes very clear in these shows, especially nowadays, when the production is slicker and slicker, and it seems to be like a very well-oiled machine. It's really noticeable when something has gone off-piste in quite an exciting way, where they're up in the middle of the night, they're yeah. arguing, and suddenly they're filming it on their phones because the camera crew have gone down for the night. Yes, yeah. So you know that there's a lot of blanks that need to be filled that the show can't really fill because you sort of need a producer to explain it, but of course the producer is this sort of invisible figure on the show. Exactly. So that, I think, is when the book really plays to its strengths there. That's when we have the producer stepping in saying like, no, we genuinely did not expect this to happen. We were completely shocked. Yes, I found that really great reading and and hearing all of the women talk about their experience of that bus journey. And also, I can't believe that this hasn't come up sooner, but we have to talk about this Brooks cancer thing. Oh, yeah. I'd totally forgotten about the Brooks cancer scam. And when I got to that bit of the book, I could have read a whole book about that. It's fascinating. It's truly one of those truth is stranger than fiction moments. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that they all were like, literally no one knew. And no one could get over this thing of how Megan had come on as a new housewife. And then it just (laughs) happened that her husband's ex-wife had cancer. So she like knew everything about these cancer treatments and genuinely wanted to help. And suddenly that's like Brooks's worst nightmare is someone comes on who actively wants to help and knows what they're talking about and then makes it their absolute mm-hmm. mission. And it's this David and Goliath situation because no one expects it from exactly. her of all people. Yeah, it's just so narratively satisfying. It made me really want to go back and watch that season. Yeah. Because I was like, that is incredible. And it is also reading the book really cemented for me that thing of being like, how could Vicky not know? And how that really felt like one of those situations where just because she screamed, I didn't know loud enough, people kind of left her alone on it, where there's no world in which you could be that involved in someone's treatment and treatment plan and not pick up that they were fully just not going to those doctor's appointments or not do- like the the holes, the gaps and the fact that so many people in the book are like, she must have known. Mm-hmm. She must have known something. It's so That kind of conceit is so detail specific, isn't it? And trying to pick apart all these threads. In a way, a reality TV show is kind of the worst platform for that because it tends to be quite fast paced and it tends to be kind of background TV viewing for a lot of people. It's more appropriate for something like a Netflix documentary. Yes, yeah. So in the book, it was just interesting to just see it written down in black and white. So it felt, again, like you're reading a court transcript or something. Yes, yes. 
I just, it was thrilling. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I might have to, I know I don't have time and I know I need to focus on New Jersey, but I might have to go back and watch those seasons in the near future. I mean, that was the thing with each chapter. Even I was sold on the big early seasons of Orange County that I've never watched and by all accounts are really boring because nothing really happens. But just the way they described it made yeah, it so intriguing. I know. I'm just going to have to watch from the beginning at some point. So, which we talk about next. I found generally the chapter on Beverly Hills a little bit disappointing. Okay. I just didn't find it that thrilling. It felt like a reflection of the show itself where, not to harp on about it, but the show took a real nosedive in quality after around season five. And I felt that kind of reflected in the book. I totally agree where like when it was talking about the first couple of seasons, I found it fascinating. Fascinating. When it was talking about Camille and Taylor and stuff. And then after that, it felt, it felt like Lisa Rinna took over writing the book. Yeah. And I felt like I was just getting Lisa Rinna's story again and again and again. Yeah. It really put it in perspective to go from pages upon pages of stuff about, yeah, Taylor and Russell, stuff that was genuinely illuminating and disturbing and heartbreaking and... Yes. And answer questions that we brought up when we talked about the Taylor episode. Yes, That that was kind of something that I wanted a producer to answer for. And then literally a few pages later, talking about the more recent seasons, where I kid you not, I think they devoted like half a page to season eight. And it was purely about whether Dorit was late to meet Teddy. Yes. That was interesting to see. That's all they could crystallise it down to. I know. I totally, that's exactly it. And also it just felt like where in other chapters and particularly with the early housewife stuff, you really were getting a myriad of opinions or sides. Suddenly it felt like the Denise season, the Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy season, things like that. You were just getting everyone on the same side and that seemed to be whatever side the show came down on yeah so it no longer felt like oh i'm learning something i didn't it just felt like all the producers being like yeah lisa vanderpump did kind of manipulate the show which was interesting because lisa did take part in the book but how muted did she feel it felt like it felt like someone else wrote her bits protect being like oh yes no i'm lisa vanderpump (laughs) and um i where you were saying it's so true that some people really jumped off the page as being like there's vicky gumbleson or there's whatever lisa vanderpump felt very small i thought on the page i was pleasantly surprised that she was involved i think it's wise that she gave an interview for the book because otherwise it would have just been bashing this homogenous opinion that lisa's responsible for everything but it kind of seemed to be she was the antidote to that idea that if you put your voice into the book, you will reclaim your story. Because whenever these moments came up about putting the magazines in the suitcase or the Lucy Lucy apple juice or the the Munchausen, she seemed to go completely radio silent. I don't know whether that's because they didn't use her answers or whether her answers were just the same thing of like, oh, come on. Well, I can't say anything. Oh, well. Yeah. Or, Or what it was. I know. It's so true. I don't know. It was very weird. I sometimes wonder with Lisa Vanderpump whether she did do those things and she's a bit like, but if we're calling me out for the meta thing of like driving the plot forward on a reality show, how are we supposed to have a reality show? Yeah. Yeah. Which I kind of agree with. That was when the producers, it really highlighted something for me. And I'm not saying this in a bad way, but it seemed very clear that the producers really like Kyle. They love Kyle. They love Lisa Rinna. They love Lisa Rinna. And then also were kind of joining in the throng of housewives saying Lisa Vanderpump was responsible for this. It really highlighted that these producers, they're not completely objective, obviously. Like they've been working with these women for years. They have friendships with them. They probably have their favourites. Of course. I found it very interesting who the producers liked and who they didn't and it's interesting because andy cohen clearly really likes lisa vanderpump yeah 
who's the one lone soldier. And even the fact that he was saying the number of calls he gets from housewives where he has to assure them that Lisa's not his favourite. Yeah. That doesn't come, there's no smoke without fire. Like, that doesn't come unless the point is that, like, he does have a natural chemistry. And I think that's clear from when she didn't come to that reunion. I think in other cities, that would have been made more of, like, shame, shame, shame. But the fact that, you know, when they get out, like, the pink belt and things like that, there's just, like, there's still affection there, I think. From him, he doesn't tear her down. So I don't know, but it is funny that all the producers seem to just... Just like, hey, Lisa Vanderpump, yeah. Carlton had a very quick cameo in this book, which I'm very pleased about. And she had me howling with laughter. In case you were in any doubt whether Carlton has like calmed down in the interim decade since we last saw nope. her, gained a new perspective on her co-workers, her parting words in the book are, Kyle is a soulless troll who would sell her soul to make money or be in the spotlight. I was fucking horrified. <laughs> <laughs> It is so funny. You literally, Carlton's interview is like they were interviewing her while they were filming that season. It's just exactly the same attitude. And also, I'm just, I go back to, she made this whole thing of being like, I made really clear I didn't want it to be made like, ooh, I'm a witch and like spells and curses and stuff. Which I would have had sympathy for like the edit being done where every time they go to her house, it's like, ooh, or whatever. But Every single talking heads of Carlton, she talks about being a witch. Mm -hmm. It's such like a part of her personality that I'm like, I don't think you get to be like, I was edited into like a joke Mm -hmm. or whatever. Or that's why I was defensive about Kyle. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm just a bit like, if that's how you're going to interior design your house, I don't think you can be annoyed with people for coming in and being like, ooh, a confessional. Right. right. I find it surprising how (laughs) seriously the producers seem to take it. I feel like they had the casting people and the producers being like, yes, it was a concern that Carlton was a Wiccan and, um, but she assured us that since she had the kids that she only practices white magic and that was really hardening for us. Only white. Strictly white magic. Because that was a health and safety issue on the, for work. And I was like, what? (laughs) I know. They really took it seriously. My God. I found the first season stuff really interesting how all the producers were like, the comment between Kyle and Camille really did happen off camera and no one was there for it. So they were like, we really did have a nightmare, which was having no evidence one way or the other and no one will ever know. It is so fascinating that that happened, yeah. that they were like, and then we had all of this drama came from like an off-screen right. thing, right. which must have been really difficult for a show that's like establishing itself. It's not like it's fourth season or whatever. Mm. And I just found really interesting all of the producers and the rest of the cast comment about how painfully obvious it was that Kelsey and Camille were like heading for a split, especially that New York trip where, of course, it's so obvious there in the episode, that horrible bit when she goes backstage after the show and he basically treats her like a fan and is like, I have to get ready. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's fun though, right? (laughs) And she's like, yeah. And also the dinner party from hell. How they almost packed her up, up all the um, the cameras and they were going to go down for the night. Yes, exactly. Like the fact that it literally got to the end of the evening and they were like, oh, how boring like nothing happened and then just like fireworks Mm -hmm. incredible Mm -hmm. it's like a fatal flaw about the book isn't it is that it's documenting something that is still ever living and breathing and growing and changing and mutating and they get we're getting new housewife cities all the time and new seasons coming out so it's a shame that for the beverly hills chapter it has such a strong start and then it sort of just peters out and then ends on a relatively bum note and that is the problem with this book is that it tries to be comprehensive and go through everything chronologically from A to Z, but Z, we haven't gotten to Z yet. 
so the book has to draw a concrete line somewhere but because the show's still continuing the book's already outdated itself yeah it didn't even talk about it didn't get to the erica drama and kind of hopefully where beverly hills is having a bit of a renaissance so or it didn't talk about salt lake city yes, or true. anything like that which i get so, yeah but it's um maybe it's just a case that this is the first edition of oh god another like twenty thousand editions that are sure to come down the pike yay so quickly just want to talk about taylor and about it was really interesting reading the stuff about season two like you say it answered a lot of questions we had about like how could production continuously send taylor off home with someone where it was very clear that there was a problem and it was just interesting hearing them all quite sheepishly sort of talk about like everyone knew but there was this really difficult thing that taylor didn't want anyone to draw attention to it which obviously makes sense and that she really believed that being on the show would offer her some kind of protection both being on camera but also it it like took her out of Mm -hmm her home a lot for filming and uh, around these other people. And one of the things I found so fascinating was that the producers are all in agreement that Taylor was one of the like sparkiest, incredible auditions they ever had. And then they were like, something happened where once we started filming, it's like she was a bit of a shell of herself. But they were like, her audition was like up there with Tamara Judge of just like so funny, so like electric. And I just think that's, so interesting i wouldn't have expected that necessarily and i think it explains why the show in that first season taylor's very much like a central housewife in a way where it maybe feels like quite an odd fit because she's she's not confident like the others necessarily Mm -hmm. but clearly they thought she was going to be Mm -hmm. yeah and it's kind of understandable why isn't it she says she was a completely nervous wreck and exactly exactly i thought it was pathetic that the producers (laughs) After talking about the white party, we're like, well, we offered her a hotel room. Oh my God. And she was like, no, I'll be fine. It's awful. It's, like, oh. it's awful because they also have to openly admit that they're like, we needed to ask them to come to the white party in order to film them being uninvited to Hawaii. Yeah. So it's like, they're fully being like, we had to ask them to come to humiliate them. And then we were like, you're right to get live at home with Russell. And she was like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, okay. okay. Yeah. She says she's fine. Yeah. And then it's like, and then the next time we saw Taylor, she had a black eye and you're like, great. Oh my god awful awful but just all of that it was really fascinating to i just really recommend reading the book in terms of getting their insights on that whole situation and how they dealt with also his death and just it's the way she described finding the body it it was the storytelling was so gripping even though we know what happened it was like it's gone into so much detail that i'd never known before and going through the steps and trying to get a hold of russell and then sort of getting her her friend's husband who's a kickboxer to come with her for protection she had her daughter with her and her assistant and they're kind of like going through one gate and through the other and looking through windows and it was like where is this going to go even though you, it was it, it was amazing is the wrong word but no, it, was it was awful so but like, morbidly fascinating storytelling and then like you say as the seasons go on it sort of just becomes the lisa rinna show and just lisa rinna talking about denise and denise not being authentic or not showing up mm. or not being honest or whatever mm. it's like blah 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 yeah. it's a very distinct contrast so should we talk about new york quickly yeah um my big takeaway is I was not expecting how much of a vocal presence Carol Radziwill was going to be. Out of all the housewives, she I was surprised that she even took part in a way, given that she had this quite bitter breakup with the show and Andy Cohen himself. But it's unsurprising in the sense, I guess, that hers is the voice that 
shapes the chapter given her background in writing and journalism it feels like she's the person with a bone to pick the most who's come back right. and is like let me tell you what actually happened she's sharpening her axe she's fucking pissed where are the people like absolutely and i did not realize that she and andy cohen had left on such bad terms mm-hmm. that literally like she said never talk to me again and he was again like, i haven't yeah it's the closest andy gets to being quite bitter on the show on the in the book sorry yeah yeah which is such a shame. It is. Hashtag not the Carol I thought I knew. Well, that's the thing. It's like her voice is so distinct in the book from the voice that I remember on the show where she was either an impartial it's observer. It's really sad. Or she, whenever she was feuding, say with the likes of Luanne or even Bethany, she kept her takes pretty above the belt. Totally. Whereas in the book, she doesn't hold anything back and she hates seemingly everyone and everything to do with the show. Yeah, it's really weird. But she, she, she seems to can't stop talking about it. It's almost, which then makes me question what kind of housewife she was, because I always assumed that she thought herself kind of above, not above the show in a bad way, but just it was kind of just this funny little hobby that she did that she didn't take too seriously. But it almost does seem to be this push and pull relationship she has with the cameras where she resents them being there and being a part of her life but she seemingly can't turn away from it completely i wonder whether there was a real transition there though it definitely feels like what people are saying is like that she wasn't the person she was when she came in and like that by the end i think it's interesting throughout the book reading about the housewives who were very like changed by the show and who who I mean that's exactly in the book they're saying like she came in and she definitely saw it as like just a funny thing on the side and just sort of made wry commentary and was just super success was maybe one of the most successful people they'd ever had on the show mm-hmm. and they kind of couldn't believe that they got her and that by the end what's so sad is that she had well I think they're saying she's become a far more kind of materialistic and image conscious and quite bitter person mm-hmm. which is so sad but it's funny isn't it because she I mean, she's certainly no worse than the likes of Ramona, but because Ramona's changed not a jot over the years, it feels like a bigger downfall. Exactly. Whereas the others just like were always awful. Yeah. There's a very, very notable absence in the book, and that is Bethany's Mm -hmm. lack of involvement. Feels really odd. It seems rude. (laughs) It seems ungrateful. It absolutely (laughs) seems rude. And and also surprising. I kind of thought Bethany would do it. I don't know. I didn't think she had that... I don't know. I feel like it's the same thing with Carol and it's it's a recurring theme throughout the book. You you get the sense that a lot of these former housewives have a very, very complicated kind of Stockholm Syndrome-esque relationship with the show where they, they want to be free of it. They resent it in a way, but it's also become habitual for them and it's all that they know and they can't quite quit it because it's all that they know. Yeah. And you see it with Bethany a lot where she will unprompted tweet about how she's never going to come back to the show or if she would, she'd have to have like a massive paycheck and they couldn't afford me. And and I'm I'm not about doing shows that tear down other women, even though you were like a big part in shaping how the show got that reputation. Yeah. She also has a sort of obsessive repeating on social media where she'll say, well, people say that I am the greatest housewife or the most successful housewife where it's, it kind of belies a defensiveness in some way. And part of me wonders whether she's sort of frustrated that people only know her as a real housewife, but also she is quite threatened by the idea that a newer, shinier housewife might come along who's better than her and knock her off the podium. It's that thing of like, please pay attention to me, don't pay attention to me, please pay attention to me. It's like, I want you all to know that I'm talking about how I'm never doing the show again or how I hate the show, but I need you to hear that. And this feels, even though she's not involved, her silence speaks volumes. I think more than any 
any other housewife yeah. who chose not to be involved in the book. But then it completely sets her up. Yes, because absolutely. she kind of, then it just gives Ramona free reign to just give her manic account of her fight with Bethany or something. You know, Bethany, it's that yeah. thing that we keep saying that we, she hasn't claimed her story and certainly like Ramona or Luann aren't going to stick up for her and tell her story for her. Yeah. I enjoyed in, with the earlier seasons of New York how openly everyone including Jill herself talks about like Jill's like hunger for the show yeah. and drive and just like Jill made the show in terms of it's like the whole thing was basically like a vehicle for Jill yeah. and then her kind of downfall and the fact that she's like obsessed about getting back on the show and I love when Jill will then like very openly be like yeah why won't they have me back on the show I'm great TV people love me like every day people write right. to me being like when are you coming back on the show it just doesn't make any sense to me maybe it's my ego maybe everyone gets this <laughs> but I get thousands of messages every day please come back we miss you all of it why won't they have me back it's like she's still pitching it's charming in a way it's the same thing as Vicky where the, the, I, I appreciate how open they are about how look I know I'm really good TV I'm fucking pissed that they fired me and I need to come back on the show but also I just love that Jill's like why won't you have me back yeah. like but I don't know why they won't have her back because even at Luann's concert yeah. there was someone asked a question like who would you like to bring back to New York and she said Jill and everyone erupted into cheers and whoops and banging on the table and Luann was like, this is crazy. Every time I say that, people have the same reaction. People go wild for bringing Jill back and I don't know why they won't. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. I wonder if like someone high up like really doesn't like her and there's like a reason. Was she, she I think she must have pissed the producers off because she was another one of those housewives where she would say something and then it would immediately go to a producer being like, that's not true. <laughs> and she's like, I'm contradicting yes, yeah, exactly constantly. what she said. It was so funny. And then who else? I just really enjoyed with Aviva the fact that Aviva's quite openly a bit like, yeah, I was doing the show. And she kind of implies like, and maybe I think I took it too far. I think, and everyone's like, yeah. This, like, yeah. I mean, it, like, yeah, it's it, kind of. It was sort of a recurring theme I found in the book where, and this is just my personal preference talking, where it would talk about a semi-iconic housewife who's given us a very famous moment in the franchise that people has been turned into memes and that the people recall again and again and again. And then it ends with Andy or the producers saying, yeah, but it was a bit too transparently trying to make good TV. So we got rid of her. And then they sort of like would replace her with someone a bit inferior and the show went into a bit of a lull point. I'm can't, I can't think of other examples, but know, it seems to come up again and I again. I kind of get that, that like, but I, but we have talked about that again and again, that like someone like Aviva had got to an impossible place. Like it had nowhere to go from there. It was like fever pitch. And also we've talked about before, like the problem with housewives who get into an obtuse place of like refusing to bend. Because if you refuse to bend, that's why Ramona's done so well off the show is if you just apologise right. nonstop, then at least it allows a kind of blank slate yeah. each season where it had become like pantomime mm -hmm. by that point. But yeah, I do, I do like enjoy their talking about like the leg incident. And also it's just really funny all of the housewives talking about how it's like, we all knew she was going to put her, like right. we all knew what she was going to yeah. do. And like, they're all talking about what we talk about where it's like, she kept trying to bring the conversation back to yeah. being fake and they all kept moving on. And then she's like, no, but talking about being <laughs> right. fake. And everyone's like, yes, we know. Mm -hmm. Kelly was another voice that really leapt off the page for me and her snippets felt like a real spiritual successor to her magnum opus i can make you hot 
I, it was just these fascinating little tunnels that we were going down that would branch off from the topic at hand and these like superfluous details that are so specific to Kelly Ben Simone and how she views the world. I found it fascinating that in the middle of talking about Scary Island, she was like, I didn't have any anxiety going into Scary Island. <laughs> anxiety was not a word I would use to describe me on that trip. The night before, my hairdresser put extensions in my hair and I felt gorgeous. <laughs> my hair was amazing. At the best bathing suits, we had incredible weather, the cutest little rooms. It was just, it's just such a uniquely Kelly Ben Simone way of framing that yes, experience. Yeah. And I think it actually, in fairness to her, I thought it illuminated that thing that she was saying in the reunion of, I was forced to go on the show by Bravo. I mean, a big grain of salt because it's Kelly Ben Simone, but she was saying, that her agent called her up before she went on the show and the agent was saying that the producers are annoyed with her because they feel like she's not fully committing to the production and she's not giving of herself 100%. So even though they didn't say, you have to go on this trip, the implication was you need to turn up to work and give all of... So I think that's what she was saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of things got twisted with Kelly where like she is just the worst delivery of her own thoughts. I think that's probably why. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted more content about the Luan Tom disintegrate. I felt like that all got moved over like very glossily where I was like, I wanted way more. Luan's like a prime example of a housewife in the book who is not frank and honest and vulnerable. Not at all. And I think it's why she doesn't actually come up that often in the book because I imagine a lot of the stuff she gave wasn't really usable because it was just kind of... A hundred percent. Where she rigidly sticks to her confessional persona that didn't further or illuminate the, the book in any way. No, exactly. And I just, I so wanted to know way more gossip. What I want to leave New York on is like, my biggest takeaway was the love for Dorinda from the whole production team. And I think there's something really special about the fact that all of the producers just very clearly hold an enormous amount of affection for Dorinda. And no one's denying that her behaviour, that she's got to a really dark place. And they're all like, Dorinda just seems very angry. But what I love is that they seem to leave it being like, but we really hope that that passes or that she's in a better yeah. place and the show will be her when she is. Yeah. And I really want Dorinda to come back. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was lovely that I was really glad to find out that like Dorinda is just a really great person yeah. that's in a bad place. Yeah. In general, it was just really exciting when they talk about housewives that they found later in the game where they're like, this woman is electric. We love her so much. There's just this energy that comes off of her that is so telegenic. And I think Shannon Bador was another one on OC where they're like, this woman is incredible. They they loved Shannon. She's a real shot in the arm. Yeah. Um, And Dorinda definitely had the same treatment in the book. And yeah, it's almost like an elegiac note that they end on with her. They genuinely hope she gets her act together. It seems like they're teasing that she will come back. Exactly. Which I really liked. So New Jersey's the only other one that I read before I just to preface. So I lent the book to James while we were in LA and I'm, I actually gave you, I I feel like I gave you a little dramatic reading one morning when we were jet lagged. Yeah, you did a dramatic reading of um, the posh fashion show. Yeah. Yes, I forgot about the hair grab. Speaking of Danielle, there was a bit that had me I was laughing so much on the plane. It's What was Dan- it? So Danielle, obviously, unsurprisingly, is another one whose voice just immediately leaps off the page. And it was also... She she is the reason to buy the book, I completely, think, is, is for Danielle's... It's so... Accounts. The way, yeah, her accounts the... of stuff. And also, unsurprisingly, she's another one of those housewives. She'll give an account. 
she she gives these accounts about how like the producers come to me every year and they beg for me to come back and then it cuts to a producer saying like no she comes to us <laughs> begging to come back like that's just not true <laughs> But my favorite bit, my favorite bit in the whole book is this sequence where Danielle makes this really long-winded, labored metaphor about her past being packed up in a suitcase. (laughs) And honestly, the amount of times she uses the word pack had me in (laughs) stitches. She's like, it's like a suitcase. You pack that suitcase and it's packed up nice and neat. (laughs) When you're ready to pack it, you want to pack it slowly and carefully because each part of that is a trigger. For whatever reason, you packed it up. It's yours to pack up and keep packed up until you're ready to unpack it. The ladies decided to unpack it back. That quite frankly, they didn't know how to unpack. <laughs> it's like, where are you going with this? By the yeah. book. <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, unsurprisingly, like I really enjoyed the reason I was reading James, the posh fashion show account is it is really funny. I mean, unsurprisingly, like Teresa's accounts, a bit like Luanne, are just exactly the same as her talking heads. So it's just her being like, I, 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 I don't know nothing about what happened. Like, she was psycho or something, but I don't, I don't know nothing. Exactly. But Danielle's accounts literally, doesn't she say that someone stabbed her with a fork? Yeah, Teresa. <laughs> I was dragged out of there, kicking and screaming. I was stabbed. I was beaten. I was burnt to death. And then I rose from the ashes like a phoenix. Says she was stabbed with a fork in the back. It's just really funny. And then there's like quite a big debate. There's a longer debate about the pulling out of Danielle's hair extensions than there is over that entire season of which it's about like Teddy being late. Yes. uh, Dorit being late. It's like four pages of producers and everyone being like, look, did she pull her hair? Yes. Did she pull extensions out of her head? No. Yeah. And of course, they're just immediately like continuously cutting back to Danielle, who's like still sitting there with that mannequin head, like <laughs> determined to prove that. It's just so funny. It's like she'll die on this hill. I think Jersey is the one chapter where I'm not really one of those people who cares that much about like housewives tea, but I think the Jersey chapter is probably the best for dropping one big off camera story that goes on for a few pages that I genuinely never heard of. Oh my God, the holiday one. Yeah, when they go to Costa Rica. Yeah, so they're explaining that Caroline, and it's interesting because James had spotted this on the podcast. Do you remember you were saying a few episodes ago that you feel that Caroline was done with Teresa on, earlier? Yeah, on the that holiday. That it's very clear on like the trips. Yeah. And it turns out that on one of those trips, on the last night of filming when cameras were down they all went out to a club and basically it's that the boys all the men unsurprisingly like got into a massive fight they got into a massive fight but apparently or caroline framed it as Teresa's fault because Teresa got a bottle of champagne was like spraying it around over the group and then ended up sort of spraying it on the group next to them in a different booth yeah and then that got all the guys from this other group all amped up and then they were picking a fight with the guys in the the housewives group and then it was just absolute chaos by all accounts and it ended with a load of the guys in prison like all the manzo boys and greg for days for days and they took their passports away they had to i didn't like dolores know someone from the government and they had to pull some strings and 
it's mad. It's completely, you couldn't make but it But literally, up. it's like they spent like a week, like every day at this police station, like Caroline and Albie trying to like get their sons yeah. out. And the it just sounds very traumatic. I mean, it's one of those like real life things where, like when Andy went into hospital when I was in New York, where I just, it just, yeah, it sounds a really awful thing to happen where in that, in those days, you feel like it's never going to yeah. end. And... I think their issue was that, like, they just felt like there was no care or accountability from, like, Teresa of, A, responsibility, but also when you need people to really show up for you in a situation right. like that. Yeah. And be an amazing support. Yeah. And they didn't have that. Yeah, so Teresa essentially started this fight, and then as soon as things got Larry, she was out of there, which seems to be her modus operandi throughout the show. She'll, like, yeah. say to Joe Judice, like, he just called me scam, or, like, he called me garbage, and then yeah. there's a massive fight, and she's running out of the way. And it seems to be a recurring thing. like, running to get help. Yeah, exactly. Help! Yeah. Help! Yeah. <laughs> the only chapter I didn't read was Atlanta. And I'll tell you for why. Because I think that was the one that suffered the most from the book's reliance on having the women narrate the story of the show Uh uh-huh but so what happens with atlanta is they're missing a significant amount of women if from the very first season Mm. out of a cast of five they're missing three of them and of those three two of them are nini leaks and kim zolciak two of the biggest stars not just on atlanta but on bravo yeah it would be like kyle and lisa vanderpump not being in the beverly hills chapter and like you're you're trying to get into this story where they're saying how amazing and charismatic and funny these two pillars of the show were and they're not there so it's very bizarre but then what happens is we get pages and pages of how formative nini in particular was to bravo as a whole and what a star she was but it's narrated entirely through the prism of a random producer and deshawn <laughs> and like you can't get a more distinct contrast of extremes than this like forgettable one season housewife telling the story of the likes of nini leaks it feels like in some kind of like epic film where they're like sat around the campfire being like let me tell you a tale of a great great world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like the forgettable narrator. It is. It's like, I I don't think she was expecting this. It's a heavy burden resting on Deshaun's shoulders that she is the one to tell oh. the tale of Nini Leakes. Exactly. So, and obviously she's not a particularly charismatic storyteller, so it all just sort of falls quite flat. So yeah, that was a big drawback for me that stopped me getting into the Atlanta chapter. And then I read the rest of the chapters and the book in As In Life has done the dirty on Dallas. I've always sung Dallas's (laughs) praises. I think it's the redheaded stepchild of the franchise that people (laughs) don't appreciate as much as they should. And I would have liked to have seen more on DC as well. They devoted probably about three pages to it. They spoke only about this incident where one of the housewives and her husband crashes, crashes the White House And they only interviewed one of the housewives and it was one of the most boring ones. I'm an unapologetic DC cheerleader. Ellie, you need to watch it. It's short and sweet. It's one season. It's fascinating. I will at some point. These, these, the husband and wife who crashed the White House, they're like Alex and Simon, but on crack that like break the law. You'd find it so compelling. And I'm just sick and tired of the show getting paid dust. Yeah. That's again, the second edition has some making up. To uh, absolutely. I want an entire book about the Erica Girardi case, to be honest. And the Jen um, Shah case. Sort of, you know, Salt Lake was a And no the Jen Shah case. Yeah. I am so excited for Beverly Hills. When does it drop? Like next week. Oh my God. I know. 
It's come around quickly. Ooh, there's always something. That is so thrilling. Right, James, I'm going to have to go because I have like the whole of season six to watch. Oh my God. Good luck. Oh. I can't wait to check in next week if it happens. I know. I can't (laughs) wait to talk about it next week. It will. It will. All right. Thank you for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. Make sure to click subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, we would really appreciate a rating or if you'd simply tell your friends about the show, that would help us out too. Thank you for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. What would you wear to a first responders party? I'd dress up like Rosie. I'd be a um, yeah, sniper. A sniper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk right up to you and punch you in the face. <laughs> Perfect.